Hello, everyone. Welcome to and are back to the Jet Reel Podcast. I am your host, Jill Therese. And this week's episode, I am continuing our little train that we've got here because um, I don't think I can stop at this point (laughs) of answering your questions. I have received so many incredible questions from you guys that I really think that I can be of help in answering. So that is what I'm going to do today's episode. But I also want to encourage you guys to look out later in this week. I'm going to try really, really hard because I don't think I can get to everybody's question uh, in this episode because I am kind of uh, strapped for time here. But I do want to get to all of those questions. So there may be a bonus episode this week. So keep your eye out. Um, follow the Jet Reel podcast Instagram account and Facebook page. I'll post updates if there's a new episode. And just keep an eye out. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you'll get notifications or you'll see it pop up in your feed. Oh, now that all of that boringness is out of the way, <laughs> please, uh, let's just get into it. Listen. That's where I was going with the please. Please listen. Dear God, please listen. Okay, three, two, one, go. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Alrighty, everyone. Here we go. Let's get into this content. Also, please do note, I'm going to try really hard this week to make that follow-up episode. And if you would like your question to be featured in an episode, you can write me at jetreelpodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can also DM the Jet Real Podcast Instagram, but I'm not fantastic about checking those DMs. I'm going to try for the episode this week if I am not already overloaded with questions, but I might have to upgrade the podcast to doing two a week. We'll see. I don't know. I don't want it to get like too lost in the in the feed for everybody where there are too many episodes, but um, I'm going to try. So let me know if that's something you'd be interested in as well. But without further ado, oops, bumped the... Mike, sorry. Okay. <clears throat> Without further ado, now let's answer some questions. So, anonymous listener one asks, my trainer uses negative reinforcement or positive punishment. Not really sure what the difference is. So first, I'm going to butt in here and answer that. Um, if you guys are at a loss or a little bit confused at all regarding, um, you know, the different types of reinforcements that fall under the operant conditioning, um, quadrants. Um, uh, I have a bunch of earlier episodes when this podcast used to be equine in theory that I talk about all of it. There are tons of resources, blogs, stuff on my website, jeticwiththeory.com that you can check out um, that explain that. But quickly, negative reinforcement is the removal of a negative stimulus or a 
negative negative means removal reinforcement means to increase so you're removing something that the animal doesn't like to increase that behavior positive punishment on the other hand is when you're adding something that the animal doesn't like to decrease behavior so an example of negative reinforcement is um, when the horse stops you release pulling on the rein um, positive punishment would be when the horse refuses a jump you swat him with a whip um, so the goal of one is to stop the horse and a goal of another is to stop the horse from refusing. So, um, not necessarily my favorite method ever, but I do use negative reinforcement here and there in my training, but, um, I'm new to this relatively ish. It's been like two years and I really haven't done a whole lot of ridden work. So my opinion on that is still likely to fluctuate a bit, but, um, for now that is where I stand. Furthering the email, um, I ride this horse who tries so hard, but in his stall, he is really mean and pushy. Even just stepping into a stall, he tries uh, to nip you and pins his ears. When I first brush, he kicks out, so to eliminate the possible fly irritation, I put fly spray on him to make sure it isn't the flies. When I proceed to brush him, he's just kind of tense and pins his ears. Every once in a while, I have to tap his face to get it away from me, as he often gets in my space too much and tries to bite me. I don't cross tie him, I tack and groom in his stall. I always feel a little bit of guilt as I don't know if it is just his attitude and lack of respect, dominance in his stall, or it is pain. I don't have a problem with tapping my horse to give him a warning and stuff, but I want to make sure it is for a good reason. If it is a behavior that I don't mind and I will work with the time I have with him to try and fix it, if it is pain, I don't want to hit him if he is hurting. I can't always tell. Okay, so that's not all the email, but I think it's important to um, kind of tackle this where it is and then I'll continue reading it. Um, <clears throat> so good, good first step, eliminating the possibility of flies. That's why it could be a very logical reason as to why he's kicking out and seems irritated. Um, but if he is displaying these behaviors just from you entering his stall, um, there, it could be for a number of reasons and I'll try to list some of the possibles. So, um, it could include that um, he's used to people entering his stall where he is in a confined space and he can't get away and somebody has hurt him in that environment so he's wary of being in an environment where he can't readily get away or he doesn't really have an escape and he's worried about that and he feels like he needs to defend himself because um, if we look at how horses respond to threats, they're primarily flight animals, so they're going to run. But if they're in a place where they can't run, the second option is to fight. So he could be trying to defend himself, express discomfort, that sort of thing. So in that scenario, I would say that it would be vital to um, spend some time with him outside of his stall where you are separated from him, he knows that you cannot hurt him at all, and you know that he can't hurt you at all. So, you know, obviously you're not going to be able to do this when you have a lesson pressing and you've only got 30 minutes to get tacked up. But, you know, just spend some time with him outside a stall without an agenda, um, if you can, and um, maybe cut back on lessons or something like that, and just spend time with him outside a stall to where he gets comfortable with the idea of somebody being near him in a stall, and then maybe you can crack his door open and stand in the doorway, and all the while monitoring, um, making sure that he is not uncomfortable or expressing those distance-increasing signals, um, like pinning his ears or um, nipping. Those are distance-increasing signals. They are telling you to get away. So um, in that scenario, I would say just like 
try to work up to making it a really good experience. So some things you could do would may be to maybe incorporate some positive reinforcement. You know, you could target train him and you could start in protected contact. So you're outside the stall, the horse is inside the stall and you're making your presence around a stall a very good thing. So um, he gets to do something, take his mind off his worry perhaps and um, you could do like target training and just have him learn how to touch a target and it's like every time he looks at it or he gets close to it or he touches it, he gets a treat until you eventually work up the criteria to he must touch it, you know, um, to get a treat. But um, that tends to come pretty quickly for most horses. Um, but yeah, so that would that would make you a really positive, um, I don't know, entity thing, stimulus near his stall and then you can work on rebuilding the relationship inside his stall so um usually horses react this way if um uh if the rider is a predictor of something so another possible reason that he could be acting this way is not because he's been injured in a stall i mean that they obviously both could be true or one could be true or the other's true but um, another reason that he might be acting like this is because a rider is predicting something he doesn't like. So it's possible that maybe he has, maybe his SI is out or he has um, one of his bones in his neck is out. Maybe he has a rib out or maybe he has kissing spine or maybe he has hawk problems or maybe his feet hurt. Um, any number of issues could be prevalent. You know, maybe he has ulcers and brushing hurts. And when you enter his stall, you're a predictor that he's going to get brushed and his skin is really sensitive. Um, so things like that are really important to consider because it's not just a matter of like, oh, the horse is being dominant or he's trying to assert his dominance in the stall. I don't really prescribe to that theory. Um, mostly because it has been largely disproven um, in studies. And the theory that horses need to be dominated and need to respect humans is largely an agenda pushed by like natural horsemanship trainers. And um, it's a fine stance, but it does often perpetuate the idea that we can be super harsh with our animals or you can even like you can cross into abuse very quickly with that. I myself have in the past. And um, it's not a place you want to be. So if you have the mindset that um, your horse is trying to dominate you and you need to correct that, then um, that lends itself a lot more to being violent with the animals rather than if you see it as the horse is trying to communicate something to you, you're a lot more apt to, instead of just going straight to, you know, knocking them in the face, to instead be like, okay, why is this horse acting like this? So I totally understand what you're saying. Like, obviously you don't want to get bitten. And if you're in the stall with a horse and he's biting at you, you have to do what you can to protect yourself. But that's not a training scenario. That is an emergency situation. That's a situation where you're trying to protect yourself. It's not a situation where you're trying to train the animal. Um, I, I know people will scream from the rooftops that punching their horse in the face has taught it not to bite. But I encourage you to consider not doing that because what you're telling the animal is that mean of communication is not working and um, sometimes that can lead horses to do one of two things they either get louder where they actually bite you or they start kicking or um, rearing up something more violent or they shut down and they just succumb to the pain and let you do what you will with them and that's called learned helplessness where they just kind of like 
stop communicating altogether. And that's not what you want. This is a horse that's trying to tell you, I have an issue with this. And you are listening. And I respect you so much for that listener. There are so many people that would just be like, oh, well, he's being bad. He's trying to dominate me. But you're, you're questioning that. And I commend you for that. It's not easy to do. Um, so I understand you don't have a problem with tapping him as a warning or trying to make um, make sure he's not dominating you. But I don't think that's what's happening. That's not what I believe anymore. Uh, trust me, I had a horse growing up that was just like this. And I wish I had known different. And he was like that with the girth too. He would just be so violent. And eventually I just stopped hitting him because nothing changed. And um, I didn't know anything about ulcer treatment or you know, making sure that the saddles fit or anything like that. Um, so, you know, I just, and I also didn't know about trying to retrain a positive association. So if his saddle or if his girth hurt, then, um, if we did rule out the pain, cause we tried ulcer treatments and stuff with him and put him on omeprazole and stuff like that, but I never tried to make the saddle a good thing ever again. I just kept putting it on, hoping that he would stop. Um, so, Back to what I was saying. Two reasons that could be happening are because, A, he feels unsafe in his stall. He feels like he's going to get hurt and that he needs to defend himself. Or because you're predicting something uncomfortable. Like I said, it could be you're a predictor. Like your presence is a predictor that he's going to get ridden and it's uncomfortable. Maybe something hurts and it's like maybe the saddle's pinching him or he's got a problem. Um, The brushing could be, uh, you know, a symptom of that as well. That like... um, brushing and all the preparatory stages before you get on are signals that he's going to get ridden. Um, Those could be the things that are triggering this reaction. Or um, the likely cause, if he's kicking out and pinning his ears when you're brushing him, Zoe used to do this too, Um, she would kick out, pin her ears, pull her nostrils back, stomp her feet, and turn around try to bite me. She did all of those things because she had ulcers, pretty severe ulcers, (laughs) and we treated them. And then I... um, I don't know why my voice is so shaky right now, but it's annoying. I hope you can't hear that. Um, Anyway, we worked up to a point where um, I could scratch her and then give her a treat. Then I worked up or pet her and then scratch her and then worked up to using a brush. And then I would treat her the whole time. And I know that sounds really tedious for, especially for people who aren't used to using a lot of treats, but it really helped her create a positive association that brushing isn't going to hurt anymore. It's, it's a good thing. You're getting treats for standing here. And then as it becomes a positive thing, cause she knows she's going to get treats for it. That allows her to see that maybe it's not hurting anymore. It's not going to predict hurt. Some horses, if you treat the ulcers and, um, really rule out all that pain, then when you start brushing, they'll gradually learn, oh, it's not going to hurt. And then those behaviors will go away. But they're still going to be a little bit residual. There's going to be some overlap after the treatment. So don't expect to see like immediate results. But uh, sensitivity to brushing, <coughs> my, my voice is so bad right now. I'm so sorry. Um, but a sensitivity to brushing and aggression around that is usually a big uh, indicator of ulcers. And I encourage you to seriously look into ulcer treatment. There's even a video, DePaulo Equine Concepts. You can look it up on YouTube, how to check for ulcers, how to palpate your horse for ulcers. And you can touch the horse in these acupressure points and it will tell you if your horse is positive for ulcers or not. And um, then you can scope if you want to, or you can just go ahead and treat it, which is what we did with Zoe because it was cheaper. Um, But uh, then (laughs) you'll know if the horse has ulcers, like immediately. But, um, 
I highly, highly encourage you to check for that because if it is a perpetuating problem, um, you might actually end up with the issue that Zoe had where she colicked and almost died. So um, not to like fear you into doing anything, but it is something to consider. Okay, continuing the email. When he has hay, he is fine as long as you don't nag him. I know he gets two flakes of uh, TA, is that Timothy Alfalfa? But he eats on the quicker side. I decay if it is ulcers, as he tends to be quite sensitive in the back when I put the saddle on. He will pin his ears and try to bite me. I would seriously look into it. Also, another thing that I have recently learned, it's very common for horses to have kissing spine. I had no idea that it was so prevalent until I started looking into it because Zoe had it. So that is something else to think about. Most modern horses are ridden incorrectly and inverted. I thought I was riding Zoe working over her back. I was not. She has kissing spine. (laughs) Um, So he could be experiencing some back pain, some ulcer pain. Continuing here. I try to accommodate this by putting the girth on the first hole till I go to mount up, but once I put his bridle on a switch flips and he is the most carefree horse in the world, he couldn't care less if I go to tighten the girth before I get on. And the other most confusing thing of all is once I get off, um, after a lesson, he is a completely different horse. He is Mr. Happy and bright eyes. He will let you hold him and pet him. Once he nipped my dad before a lesson as my dad tried to bite him or pet, <laughs> pet him. Okay. So, um, unfortunate your dad got bit. That is not something we like biting or getting bit does not feel great. I speaking from experience, but, um, okay. So this is also a very common thing. Zoe and Bo. We're both like this, many horses that I have ridden, because here's the deal. If they're experiencing pain while you're riding them, you entering their stall is a predictor that they're going to get ridden. But after you're done riding, you're no longer a predictor for something that's going to hurt um, or something that's unpleasant for them or something that is asking too much of them. So, um, you know, just be aware that after the ride, you're no longer a sign that like, hey, this is going to happen. It's over. And horses are inherently peaceful creatures. They want to be loved. They want to be engaged with us. And, um, we've bred them for many years (laughs) to be, um, domesticated and interacting with humans. So there is an inherent connection there, but, um, what gets in the way is pain and fear. So usually my philosophy at least is if a horse is acting aggressively, it is because he is either afraid or he is in pain or he's just uneducated because a lot of horses, what behavior gets labeled as rude or aggressive is actually just the horse just doesn't know any better. It's never been taught this is how you should behave, not out of being beaten into it, but um, being rewarded for doing the right thing. There's not enough of that in this industry. I stand by that. But so like you said, once you put a bridle on, the switch flips because potentially the brushing or the saddling part is the painful part. He doesn't have a problem with the bridling. And um, by then, he knows it's going to happen, you know, I mean, that's exactly how Bo and Zoe were, and, um, I would just really encourage you to not write it off as a non-issue, because he is fine when you're riding, um, but just, but, I mean, there's so much pressure and force that goes into riding, and I'm not trying to dog you, listener, um, I promise, sorry, I'm getting a phone call, um, I'm not trying to dog you, I swear, I have been there, I have done that, I have done all of these things, and worse, but, um, I don't know. It's just something to consider. I really encourage you not to just write it off as like, oh, he's, he's fine after. And it doesn't sound like you're doing that anyway, but, um, I can understand how it is confusing for sure. Um, okay. The last part of this email says, I am just confused about his mood swings, 
before the ride after. The last time I was at a barn and started to see if I could try to work with his manners using clicker training, he picked up really quickly at targeting, so he understands clicker. Clicker. So great. Um, I hope I can teach him some manners, but there isn't much I can do because he isn't my horse. Totally understandable. Um, I'm only able to afford lessons once a week, and he has many different riders throughout the week. But if I can make myself more positive for him before I ride, I think that would be great. So yeah, like like I said earlier, you can maybe try and get to your lesson earlier and work with him and do some things like that. Just become a really positive experience in his life and maybe really um, like show your trainer the palpating video and be like, I really want to try this with this horse, and let's see if he has... Um, ulcers or if he has some sort of back pain because he's been experiencing or telling me these symptoms and I don't think that it's because he's like trying to override my dominance or something but it's because he's got a problem with something that's to come and because he's totally fine in every other regard it's just brushing and tacking up and my presence initial presence in the stall um as really something to um, talk to them about. I know those conversations can be really hard to have, but hopefully um, you have an understanding of trainer that is willing to help her ponies. Um, okay, that was 20 minutes. <laughs> On to question number two. This one's a bit shorter. Um, okay, anonymous listener writes, I have been falling off a lot recently when riding, mainly due to spooks or losing my stirrups and not balance when I am riding. I was wondering if you have any tips on how to stay on when an unbalanced horse spooks. This week I was having a basic lesson and the horse was trotting and I was riding, but the horse got very spooked by a waving tarp and some loud thunder as there was a thunderstorm the night before. Because I was riding English, it was much easier for me to slip off. She can, I completely disagree. I think it's way easier to fall off in Western, but I understand that Western saddles are bigger and you have more to grab onto, but <laughs> I feel so much more imbalanced in Western. Um, but it's easier for me to slip off. She galloped away and I fell in between her and the wall and luckily I walked away just fine. Oh, that's scary. Um, I was mostly really embarrassed and down on myself because I've been riding for four plus years and still have trouble with balance and form. Do you have any tips on how I can stay safely on a horse? Spooks. Okay, so um, this question is a bit of a tricky one because it's it's really hard for me to know what your riding looks like, and equitation plays a huge role in that. Um, so usually when this is occurring and you've been riding as long as you have, which is no problem, sometimes it's just a simple minor fix, um, a lot of the time when we're still falling off, it's because your lower leg strength and your core strength isn't where it needs to be. Um, so... That could be because there's a reliance on your rein. Um, it's really hard to stay on a horse when you're riding entirely off your hand. So something that maybe you could ask your trainer about is to try like a lunge line lesson and to where you don't have reins and you are forced to ride off of your leg and your body and really it'll really help illuminate where your balance has been. And then you'll be able to be like, oh, okay, this is what it feels like. This is where I need to be. And you can work towards that. Um, also doing at home core exercises, make sure they're right and you're not going to hurt yourself, but, um, doing ab exercises and working on strengthening your core. Um, another thing to do is like find a pair, uh, a pair, some stairs in your house and do heel raises that'll strengthen your calf, do some squats and see if you can hold it. Um, do some like up, down, hold for like, I don't know, 30 seconds, come back up, um, that sort of thing. You might have to work up to it, but really establishing your strength um, will help tremendously because, um, you know, whether you believe it or not, 
the belief has been perpetuated that horses do all the work and that's not the case. We have to be athletes for our animals. You can't just expect to get on and ride. And you know that better than anyone because it's difficult. Um, So really try and work on your strength. If you can build up a strong core and leg strength, then you won't need your hands at all and you'll be able to ride off your body. And that's the goal. Um, But you're going to have to get on a regiment to make sure that you're doing that. Um, Another thing is balance comes easier to others or to some than others. Uh, I'm one of those people. Balance was very hard for me growing up too. I used to fall off all the time. As I've gotten older, try not to do that as much because my body hurts all the time. Um, But I used to fall off all the time because I was super unbalanced and I still am walking. But um, that's something that um, it just takes time. But um, you can only develop your balance if you're not relying on something else. If you're relying on your hand, um, and your rein, the horse's mouth to keep your balance, then you're going to fall off every time because the horse's mouth is subject to change. But if you're in tune with the horse's body and you're connected where, um, you're able to move with the horse, then, um, you'll be less likely to fall off. Spooking is unfortunate, but it does happen. But, um, you just have to be strong enough in your core to kind of counteract that lack of balance. Another thing that could be happening for years, I rode in a saddle that tipped me forward in dressage. So now I have to deal with the fact that when I ride on the flat, I tip forward too far (laughs) because my saddle tipped me forward and I learned to ride like that, but I was always having to fight the saddle and it really put me at a disadvantage in flat work. So consider that maybe the lesson saddle doesn't totally fit you or the horse super well. And maybe that's a problem uh, you and your trainer could look into together and seeing if you could fix that. Um, Maybe your stirrups need to go up or down a hole. I know for me, I like to have my stirrups up a hole, especially when I'm on like, um, you know, well, I don't know. Maybe I like to have them down. I think on younger horses, I might like to have them down. So I feel like I'm got a good wrap around the horse but sometimes that can work against you if they're too low because then you can't get out of the saddle and you're kind of like stuck in this one long-legged position but also if your stirrups are too short it could be tipping you forward and pushing you too far out of the saddle in inappropriate circumstances um okay so continuing um my second question is how do i keep a steady horse on the low what oh a speedy horse on the low my trainer says to keep my energy calm and relaxed and told me that I need to lean forward in the trot because I have a lack of balance and a bad seat. Uh, ouch. Jeez. Uh, I wouldn't be upset if my trainer told me that. Okay. Um, I have trouble keeping her collected because of this, and I was wondering if you had tips on how I can expand my comfort zone even when I'm nervous. I try to keep my body soft and at the same time stand tall in the saddle, but whenever I go into a trot, I lean forward at the post, which makes me unable to move into a sitting into a sitting trot to slow her down, which just kind of ruins it overall. I don't have problems with this in the walk or canter just at the trot. Okay, so this is kind of a tricky question to answer because there's a lot to unpack. But so for me, I have ridden a lot of um, young off-the-track thoroughbreds, and some of them um, have one gear at the trot and others have 18. Um, Zoe is one of them. When you get on her, she gets faster and faster and faster and faster and she falls on her forehand a lot. So you're saying that your trainer is telling you to lean forward because you have a lack of balance and a bad seat. That's understandable, but you also have to realize that you're putting your weight onto the horse's shoulders, which is encouraging them to get lower and lower and lower and get falling on the forehand because there's more weight up there 
horses already have 60% of their body weight up front. So um, it's our job to help them lift the front end so that they can keep a balanced pace. Because if they're falling on their forehand, they're just going to run faster and faster. Otherwise, they're going to fall on their faces. So what you need to do, what I would say if I were your trainer, and but I mean, obviously, I can't like totally coach you here because I haven't seen it and I can only go off of what you're saying. But um, she's absolutely right that you need to keep your energy calm and relaxed. Um, you need to make sure that you're breathing and you're not just getting locked because what can happen really easily is if your horse is trotting and you get a little nervous, you lock up in your arm and you lock up on the rein and the horse is pulling against you and then the rest of your body goes rigid. And then if the horse spooks because she can sense your nervousness and maybe it's like, she's like, Oh, you're nervous. Well, where's, where's the storm? What's happening? Where's the cougar, the mountain lion? Why are we nervous? Um, you know, that can be a thing that happens, but if your horse spooks and you're in that rigid position, you're not able to mold your body with her. And if she goes left, you can't just like flow left with her. You're going to stay exactly where you are and fall off. So I think something that's really important to consider is just being loose. If you find when you're riding, your shoulder, elbow, and hand are like white knuckling, like you're so tight on the rein and you're, you feel rigid in your body, just really try and take an awareness to like take a deep breath and relax all of that. And I know it can be really hard on a horse that gets speedy and goes faster and faster, but that's what half halts are for. So try and relax your body and if the horse speeds up you can maybe take an outside rein and half halt like half halt up stretch up through your core and keep your shoulders back and think up like lift the horse's front end up stretch down in your heel not pushing them forward i hate that stupid perpetuation that we're supposed to have our heels like as far down as humanly possible and then they're like on the horse's shoulder that's not good either (laughs) just to have them slightly below level um so your calf is on and you just like feel really stable on the horse something it's something really good to practice um standing still like get in a really comfortable position not where your back is super arched and you're super tight and tense and trying to fit this position but somewhere that feels like really comfortable and strong for you and that's again something that is much much clearer to figure out um when you're trotting on the lunge line and you have somebody helping the horse for you um and then you can really focus on your equitation and maybe you need to switch horses for a little while you know see if there's another lesson horse that you can ride that you don't have to think about all these different variables with the speeding up the slowing down all of that and you can really focus on making your equitation as solid as possible um But yeah, so understandably, you'd be nervous if you're falling off. That's scary. That's no fun. But um, do what you can at home with those exercises to increase your strength. And then you'll feel a little bit more capable. Sorry, I just moved my table. Um, Feel a little bit more capable at handling those situations because you'll know that you're strong enough to. um, But then you just have to figure out the technique. Um, But I hate that your trainer's like, you have bad balance in a bad seat. I hope that she's not actually saying that because that would suck. And I would maybe invest in a new trainer. But um, yeah, I think um, it might also be worth, there are tons of books on uh, like Amazon about uh, biomechanics of riding and how to work on your posture and your seat. Thinking about your pelvis as like a tripod. You have three points of contact when you sit and just sitting really balanced Um, it might also be worth, um, trying to learn how to sit the trot. Um, I had an instructor tell me once that sitting the trot is like adjusting your pelvis to the horse's back, kind of like a puzzle piece. Like, you know, those, 
child's toys that have like a square hole and you have to fit the square in the square hole not the circle um that's kind of what riding uh, a sitting trot is like you have to fit your seat and your pelvis to the horses moving changing back the whole time um so just really being aware that the horse changes um and you have to be ready at any moment to adapt to that so you keep the rhythm and you keep the harmony and the flow and you're not fighting against them so i hope i hoped at some point <laughs> i'm sorry i'm not the best at articulating that without like seeing it happen in front of me okay on to the third question here anonymous listener asks i have had my mini for just over four years he and my other horses are on pasture 24 7 and he's flourished in so many ways since joining my family this summer however he's showing signs of founder it's terrifying and frustrating and i'm finding it extremely difficult not to be infuriated and frustrated at myself for not catching it sooner looking back i can see small things off in the past week like less running and playing faster hoof deterioration my main question is how do you cope with anger and guilt associated with your horse being hurt or in pain in this case i would say you cope with it by realizing that hindsight bias is a thing it's the same thing that happened with me and Zoe and her hawks and kissing spine and ulcers and my training methods and all of those things. I'm like, I suck so bad. How did I not see any of that? But I, it's hindsight bias. It's so obvious when you look back. Of course, you're like, oh, I knew that the whole time. No, you didn't. You had no idea. All you could do was do the best you could with the information that you did. And it sounds like you figured it out. You took all of those little pieces of information and put them together and well like this is the problem and you identified the issue and that can be really really hard to do it took me years with zoe i've been working with this horse for six years and it took me that long um so don't beat yourself up too much i know it's so anger angering it makes you feel so guilty especially me with my training methods i god i've been so harsh on horses like so harsh it's not the stuff that you see online and it eats me up inside because i'm like how on earth have i been believing this bullshit that you know, I just need to boss my horse around and then he'll love me. Like, no, (laughs) no, no, no. That's not how that works. Um, so I totally, totally feel you there. It's, it's really hard, but you have to realize it's not your pain, of course, or it's not your fault. It's not, it's going to seem so obvious in hindsight, but I mean, you're not a fortune teller. You can't know everything. All you can do is the best with what you know. And when you know better, you can do better. So furthering your email, I'm very upset with myself for letting it happen. I brought up concerns over his weight slash grass consumption with my vet earlier this year and asked if he should wear a grazing muzzle. The vet told me he was a bit hefty but fine and that grazing muzzles are cruel. This combined with the fact that he doesn't eat grain and hasn't shown any issues while I've had him lulled me into a false sense of security. I totally feel you on that one. I know how frustrating it is. Oh, God. My vet is very much like that where it's just like you have to ask like is it this and they're like nope and you're like okay but what about this and they're like oh yeah it's that for sure and I'm like why didn't you say that like (laughs) it's so frustrating I don't I I feel you um so uh okay he hates being in a stall and is used to having free roam on the pasture and it breaks my heart tiny follow-up question any ideas how to make a stay in horse prison a little more enjoyable I put his uh buddy in a stall with him a few hours a day and it's okay for him to munch on so maybe something that could help with that if he's not too sore is trying to establish an exercise program. Um, the simplest solution is to lunge um, and establish lunging. I said that twice, so sorry, don't know why. Um, but an exercise program can really help with a weight problem, especially on such a small horse. Um, I know I hate 
I hate dry lots and I hate like the stalling thing. I, I totally feel you, but the quickest solution is to, um, get him to a healthy weight and then try and help him maintain that. And if you're working with positive reinforcement, you can always use scratches instead. If the horse just finds where a spot that he really likes it and you can still train with that. Like that's what I'm doing with all our baby horses. Um, but I understand it's so frustrating to help keep the weight off, but, um, try not to beat yourself up too much. Um, and I would work like if he has to be stuck in a stall, um, to help with his weight, I would, um, really work with scratches and you can teach him targeting. You can teach him, um, how to smile. You can teach him tricks like lifting his legs or how to move in a circle around you. Um, a lot of those things are a lot easier to do in stalls and <laughs> when you have a really small horse. So you can teach him to do a bunch of things, um, to keep him entertained and interested. You can work on a few sessions a day if you, um, are able. Um, so I hope that helps. Try not to beat yourself up too much. It's an impossible situation. There's no way you could have known. And now you do, you did it. That's half the work is identifying the problem. So hope that helps. Okay, I have lost count, but we are on to our next question. This one is short. Um, no guarantees that my answer will be. Anonymous listener writes, I have a horse who I recently started to lease. He has great ground manners, and the only thing he struggles with is fly spray and anything spraying out of a bottle in general. When I try to spray something like fly spray on him, he gets very anxious, won't stand still, anxiously walks around you and try to avoid whatever I'm spraying on him. And then he just kind of balls up and releases that very anxious energy. Some background on him. My trainer rescued him from a kill pen, so I don't know if that has anything to do with it. Do you have any tips on how I can get him to not be so anxious and to stand still while I'm spraying something on him? Yes, yes, I do. Actually, I have a direct <laughs> freaking answer for this one for once. Um, you guys like to ask me the hardest questions and I'm like really pulling from training philosophy and like things I've seen, et cetera, et cetera. But on this one, I actually have firsthand experience finally. Okay. Zoe, just like this, she would dance around on the cross tie. She would run away from me if she was in her stall or in her pasture, hated fly spray. Now she stands at Liberty in the pasture for it. Still not the biggest fan, but she'll tolerate it. Um, so I don't know if the kill pin has anything to do with it or not. Um, fly spray is rarely used as a weapon, so it's kind of hard to imagine that but I mean he could just be afraid of new things in general due to that experience perhaps um or he's never experienced fly spray before that's also a very <laughs> high possibility um so like with our baby horses they're afraid of it but um what you have to do is systematic desensitization so this is the kind of thing that I have done with um all of our horses what I did with Zoe um you know for girthing issues or brushing issues you just have to work up to it so what I would recommend doing is um, if you have your horse in the cross ties or they're out in their field, just work with them, get them comfortable, do something easy like targeting or something and, um, you know, kind of like get their attention focusing on like, hey, we're training, okay? Um, so pay attention. <laughs> um, that sounds really like militant, but um, just so um, at least for Zoe, it's helpful because she, she knows there's a difference between like when I'm just like out with her and when I'm asking something of her. So when I'm asking something of her, when we're like training with positive reinforcement, she knows to offer behaviors and, um, to try something to pay attention for cues and stuff like that. And that's what I mean. So, um, for her, it was pretty easy. She was just standing in the cross ties and I noticed there was a lot of flies on her and, um, there were a lot of flies on her subject verb agreement. Um, uh, and then I got out the fly spray and, uh, what I did with her, 
Um, she's been trained for me to stand still in the cross ties and to just kind of hang out, be comfortable, etc. Oops, I'm trying to get my laptop plugged back in. Um, so it works in the cross ties or out in the field. Um, if your horse is super anxious, I wouldn't really recommend doing it in the cross ties because you don't want them to scare themselves or associate it with the cross ties or anything like that. So maybe let's see if we're working in a field or in a stall. Then um, what I would do is like give the horse something to do that they're really good at and, um, you know, give them lots of scratchies, lots of cookies. You know, Zoe's favorite trick to do is to smile and her new favorite one is to go sideways. Um, so I would maybe cue her to do one of those things, something that she's really comfortable and really good at and um, just get her thinking this is positive and then I would have the fly spray bottle out and just like, you know, keep doing it with maybe the fly spray bottle in my hand. Um, and then what I would do is I would just like step away from her and squirt it as far away as possible. Just like a little bit, not like the full, like, like everything, but just maybe like get it to squirt a little bit. So there's the smell, there's the action of a squirting, all that good stuff so that it's away from her, but still in our bubble, you know? And then I'd click and treat for her standing and looking at it or whatever. And then I'd gradually bring it closer. And then if I'm going to do it to its full power, maybe hold my arm out all the way out again, spray it really far away from her, treat her for standing, and then gradually bring it close, maybe spray it on myself or spray it like in the general vicinity. And then when you work up towards spraying it to them, I would spray it like on the ground like right beside them first click and treat for standing still and if the horse is moving away at any point you know you need to back up a step so keep spraying it really far away i know it sounds wasteful fly spray but i promise it's worth it and then gradually you can spray it at their hooves click and treat click and treat click and treat it's a very good thing the key here is to associate a really positive experience for the horse with the fly spray and so then you can gradually spray and move up their leg and then eventually work up to every part in their body. Sometimes it's going to be different. They may swing their haunches away. You just know you need to back up, spray their barrel and their shoulders wherever they were last comfortable with it. And on the haunches, you may have to start at the feet again and gradually work your way up. Um, and it may take a few sessions. You might not get it all done in one, but it's important to go at the horse's speed. You don't want to just force it because you're going to create more anxiety because the horse is going to be like, oh my God, I can't get away from this terrifying thing. Um, so just really pay attention to that. And hopefully that will help you. Um, ba -ba -ba. Okay, next one. Listener Maya writes, my horse was just diagnosed with navicular. She's a 10-year-old appendix mare and I ride her competitively in dressage first level and some second level. The vet recommended corrective shoeing, which I agree with, but she also recommended Osphos, which is a shot, and it's an anti-inflammatory. Another thing she recommended was getting injections in her coffin bones. It sounds painful, and I don't totally agree with it, and it sounds invasive, and I'd rather just be able to be ridden a little bit, not hard, rather than hard now and never be able to ridden again if it becomes severe. I'm not sure if you had an opinion on this, or if you had any ideas for exercises that could help. I absolutely do. Oh my god, I love questions that I haven't answered to. It makes me so excited, because I'm like, yes, I can answer this. I don't get to just be like, why well, don't fucking know? Um, but okay, so really exciting. I actually know of a supplement that is incredibly helpful with this sort of thing. Um, it's called Equibone. I just put Zoe on it recently to hopefully help with kissing spine um, hawk issues. But we had a young horse named Ben and 
uh, Sonny rescued him and his mom from a kill pen and brought them here. And Ben was so malnourished in the womb. He, like, they were both super, super underweight when we got them. He was so malnourished under the womb. He didn't, like, grow a stifle. <laughs> it was barely a stifle. And he had no bone deterioration. And our, uh, both of our vets told us to put him down. And Sonny did some research and some digging and was like, I don't know what to do. I like, I rescued him. I don't want to give up on him. I don't want to just put him down. Um, because I mean, he's only like, I don't know, six months old. And, um, so she was like, okay, I'm going to try this thing. And she put him on Equibone and he grow a, oh my God, buried lead. He grew a whole ass stifle, like a whole stifle, grew it. And it's because what Equibone does is it gives the body, because Oh, I got to back up a little bit. Um, they'll be able to explain it better at the place. I've talked to them before, but what it does is the body usually has like a baseline level of the nutrients it needs, but it doesn't always have all of the nutrients and all of the vitamins for my very basic understanding. I'm trying to explain this, but it doesn't have everything it needs to build where it was deficient. So though he was getting like really good food, it still wasn't enough to help him build a stifle. His the body knows what to do when it has those nutrients and it could rebuild that stifle, especially since he was so young, but, um, it, it didn't have what it needed out of his diet and out of his like previous body growthness. So once he had the little bit of surplus, not only was it enough to maintain, but it was enough to rebuild. Um, another experience with Equibone, was ruler um he was a racehorse won a lot of money came off the track um and he had some bone uh oh god what did they call that oh god i forgot what they were called they're like it sounds like meteorites it's like osteophytes that might be it actually um surrounding his um his fetlock so he had like a lots like little little meteors of uh bone just floating around in his um fetlock joint so um what it did when we put him on the equibone was his body then had the capability to break down that calcium that was in the wrong part of his body and put it back where it needed to go and just dissolved it and there was no surgery needed we didn't need to like take any of that out his body did what it was supposed to so that's two instances one rebuilding and one taking away Something I highly recommend doing before you just, like, go buy this product because it is not cheap. Um, but I'm sure it would save you a lot of money in the long run rather than um, overdoing injections. But um, what I would recommend is calling them. Uh, the website is TLC, like Tender Love and Care, TLC, Animal Nutrition. And um, when you call, um, I got Claire on the phone incredible lady. I was like, hi, I'm a dumbass. I don't know what any of this does. Can you explain it to me? And she explained everything so well. It all made perfect sense to me. I was like, I get why the product works. They dedicate themselves to um, studying the horse's body and just, oh my God, such intelligent, intelligent people. And um, it's not one of those products where they're just like, oh my God, yeah, it'll fix a horse's hoof in days. Um, now, I'm not saying to not do osphos or any injections or anything. I mean, listen to your vet, but it might be worth trying this before or maybe in conjunction with. Um, I do know several people that have tried osphos and it either provides short-term results or none at all and doesn't actually end up helping the horse. Um, but one, the reason that my boss found out about Equibone is because a very close friend of her had an Appaloosa gelding named Lakota and he foundered 
bad and had navicular and um she just was absolutely I'm not putting him down and um all of her vets she got so many different opinions and they were all like you need to put him down until she found equibone and now the horse is rideable so don't take my word for it call the people tlcanimalnutrition.com and look at equibone call them talk to them about it they are more than happy to help educate you about these products they have other products um that can be used in conjunction uh it's not cheap but it is so worth it um especially like you said and i highly respect you for not wanting to just like be able to ride your horse now and then not later um it's it's so much more worthwhile to have your horse that is at least pasture sound and not ride them until they're not ever going to be pasture sound at least you know um i would be so much happier to have um zoe be sound for light work rather than um you know me fix it now and then her never be sound in the future you know um so i hope that helps um i don't really have any exercises but absolutely corrective shoeing can help but um also giving the body what it needs um to help uh kind of reverse that navicular um i have faith in equibone you um can let me know (laughs) what you think but um 10 years old is too young to be, um, you know, just shooting your horse up with a ton of things or considering retirement or putting her down. I think that this might really be a good solution. While I am not a vet and I cannot tell you what to do with your horse or make any guarantees, um, I really have faith in this product and I'm excited to see what it can do for Zoe. So I hope that it, um, will be beneficial for you as well. Fingers crossed. Let me know how it goes also. Okay. Um, I think... Oh my god, I have four more questions here. I might have to do two more episodes this week. Um, okay, so... I think I'm going to do one more question today, um, and then I'll try to get to some more later this week. Okay, so, listener Jade says, The issue I'm having is that I currently live with my partner and his family, and they have an 11-year-old off-the-track thoroughbred gelding, who I have been working with for about a year. I'm the only one who works with him as the owner fell off last year and hasn't been back on since, and doesn't want her kids riding him either unless I'm leading them around. We have made some great progress in trick training in general, riding at the walk and trot, plus I'm gradually introducing jumping to him, but my issue is he doesn't exactly know what I'm asking for above a trot. If I ask him for more than a trot whilst riding, he'll just do a sort of gallop until he gets to a fence or gate. And if I ask while he is on the lunge line or in a round pin, he'll throw his head around and canter slash bolt for a few strides and then continues with a very fast trot. I would love to know some ways to work on this without stressing him out as um, what it seems like to me. I want to get the vet out and maybe Cairo as well, but his owner won't let me and says he just needs consistent work instead of trying to roll out pain. Okay, first of all, that's super frustrating and annoying and makes me lose a little bit of faith in some people. I so wish our industry would be like, "Mm, would you want to be ridden through pain? No? Okay, cool. Let's not do that to the horses either, but fine. Um, Something that has been really beneficial for me, especially in Zoe's rehab, is a book called 55 Corrective Exercises for Horses. I forget who it's by, but it's on Amazon. I don't think it's that expensive. I think it's like 20 bucks. I could be totally wrong, but it wasn't that expensive because I bought it. Um, (laughs) But uh, it has a bunch of awesome exercises for stuff like this. Um, Because so often when we're riding, we only think about... Um, what they call the gymnastic muscles, the ones that are used to move and all of that. But we don't think about like fascia, neurological tendencies and habits and stuff like that that get embedded in our horse's brains and it makes it very difficult for them to be able to do the things that we ask. So these exercises are sort of like neurocorrective exercises that help the horse um, concentrate. Because what this sounds like to me is a horse that 
is green and has um like inexperience with having a rider under saddle also off the track where where is the canter um and some training instances some some race uh programs have them canter but not a ton um but anyway what i would say is that the horse probably just doesn't have the strength and the balance and it's a little uncomfortable um so especially if he's galloping around at the lunge or on the lunge i would say that he probably needs to experience some uh top line building exercises cantering is very difficult for horses especially because um if they're not going super fast they need to be loading and lifting um through their core balancing on their hind end and lifting that front end otherwise they just go faster and faster and faster which is what you're experiencing so to help the horse build a top line that can all be done at the walk in the trot and on the lunge pull work exercises using hills and stuff like that which is all in that book and i recommend using that because I'm not going to sit here and list every exercise in that book, nor do I know them all. But um, that's super helpful. But I would, what I would really do is um, sit the owner down privately and just be like, hey, I really want to have a conversation with you about this because I think um, we might get this horse to a safe place where you would be able to ride as well as your children and we don't need to be afraid of him um, if we can work through these issues, you know. Um, it's re- I think that th- there might be an issue that is preventing him from being able to um, do what we're asking. And I would really like to not ask him to do things if it's causing him pain and just forcing him to work through it. Um, I don't think that's very ethical. And I think that you wouldn't think that either. You know, don't point fingers or be like, I think it's not ethical and you are trying to hurt this horse. But like, you know, in a way that you're like, you know, it's... I know that we're both wanting the best for this horse. I understand that it's expensive. Maybe you can offer to pay for it. Um, you know, just be like, well, let's see if we can help this horse out and make him safe for everybody and help him understand what we're asking and make sure we're not unfairly compromising him or exploiting him, making um, this a really uncomfortable experience for him. So those are some things to consider. Um Okay, I'm just going to label these unanswered so that I can get to them. Anyway, oh my god, my voice is like all the way shot. Anyway, I have some homework to attend to and a pizza calling my name. So I think I'm going to wrap it up here at an hour and um, I am promising you bonus episodes so that I make sure that I do it this week. Um, I really want to be able to get to that because my horse is getting very expensive very quickly with her chiropractor and all that good stuff for kissing spine treatment. So I would really like to, you know, be making some more money. And I also want to answer you guys' questions. And my podcast is my favorite and easiest thing that I can do. Um, So yeah, I'm hoping that I'm helping you guys. Thank you so much for all of the support, writing in, answering questions, or asking questions. And um, yeah, also, if you have any experience with some things that I was like, I don't really know about you, feel free to write me an email and I'll pass it along. Um, Make sure you send it to jetreelpodcast at gmail.com. But beyond that, be sure to check us out at Jetic with Yuri. Oh my God, (laughs) Jet Real Podcast on Instagram and also Jetic with Yuri if you'd like. Um, But beyond that, I will catch you guys later this week and then next Tuesday. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 